Yes, what'll it be? Bottle of Guinness. Bottle of Guinness. See that, Carl? See what, Dom? He gave me a look. Did he? Just cut his hair, you know. Yeah? So what do you think? Nice. Again. I saw that one. And what would you call that? That was a look. Ask him to ask me what I'm drinking. He wants to know. Do you want to know what she's drinking? A margarita. Now he can look. Again, and welcome to another episode of A Thousand and One by One, where we take a film out of the wonderful book, A Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die, discuss it, analyze it, and ultimately decide whether or not it should be in the book. My name is Adam St. John. And my name is Ian Woodington. And uh, we've decided, I think, that I'm going to go first this week with recommends, uh, because Ian's uh, more closely ties to the episode, and he got more sleep. So fuck him, oh, pretty much. Here we go. Yeah, I'm just bringing our, our personal yeah. lives right into the yeah, podcast. Yeah, let's do this. Um, so so I, I really wanted to pick a good thriller to pair up with this, with with the crying game, which is what we're, what we're talking about today. And... I watched a couple of movies and I, I couldn't quite get to the recommend stage. I watched um, The Limey for the first time, which I had never seen, which I enjoyed. It's pretty good. But I mean, it's, it's poor man's Get Carter. Yeah. So it's not, it's not, so I was like, eh, it didn't get me quite there. And then I, I hadn't seen this movie since it came out. I watched Better Luck Tomorrow, which was an early Justin Lin film, which again, I enjoyed, but I was like, I don't know if I want to spend time watching about it. So Ian and I were actually texting back and forth last night um, and so I, I I went with a go-to. I went with a surefire. I've watched this movie like six or seven times. My The girls were asleep. Melissa was at work. And I turned on Ronin, which is on Prime. See, I could see how mine might derail you, though. So what I was texting Adam back and forth, that <laughs> I was a little bit inebriated. I was texting Adam about how much I fucking love The Departed. And I yes. just put it on randomly. Yes. Uh, and so I was texting you lines of dialogue, indeed, and you said it was in, derailing your you Ronin experience. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Sorry about that. Oh, no, no. It was, it was fine. It was fine. I mean, Ronin is just fine, but I mean, The Departed is so much more fun. Yes. So no, I, I agree. see I agree. how that might be like, damn it, now I want to watch The Departed instead. But the thing about Ronin that I love so much is that it, 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 it it's so simple in its storytelling. It's just a group of people who have been hired to get a case. And then we kind of go through uh, Robert De Niro's character of Sam, who's asking all the right questions. You know, what's in the case? How many people are going to be guarding the case? Where's it going? How do we get out? And he's, I really love this De Niro performance because it's really understated and, but his his attention to detail, like I love the I love the way this movie opens. It's, it's all these guys meeting in like a cafe in Paris, and he's outside the whole time. He's scouting it out. He puts a gun behind these crates, and I I just love I, this movie is such an attention to detail movie that I I really like it. And it's not it's like two hours, so it's not like crazy long. And um, well, it's it's paranoid De Niro, which I think we all really love. I mean, it's a it's an extension, and the performance in Roman almost feels like an extension of his performance in Heat, if if even yeah. more understated. But I was just, yeah, yeah, not as cool though. Like, and I know it's only I think it only came out three years later. Yeah, but it's 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 not cool De Niro. Right, there's a certain age to him. He's not old in Ronin, but he's he's not quite youthful as he is in Heat. Um, but it's it's I it's such a great movie, and 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 all the characters are in it, in it too. Um, that ensemble cast, man. yeah, Jean Reno, Stellan Skarsgård, Jonathan Price, Sean Bean, Natasha. I don't want to say her last name. She's Irish. Um, and then even the people I don't know by name. Like, there's a lot of great character actors in it too, who I I I couldn't tell you what their names are. I just I I love. I love all the specificity. I love the way De Niro works in the movie. And a scene that I, I I don't think I ever really comprehended as much because I think if you know the movie, I think the it's the car chases that really stand out. And they are. They're really good car chases. And I, I, I think they're they're very good. But it's when um, De Niro gets shot when they're in the Coliseum and, they, and Jean Reno has to take him to get fixed. And De Niro's basically talking Jean Reno through taking the bullet out of him. It's that's it's that that's such a great scene. Yeah, um, it's the it's the attention to detail. Yeah, it's the attention to detail, like and 
and De Niro's not overselling the pain. It, it, it looks so real. And that's the way this movie moves is it's so methodical that I, I really believe everybody in it as sinister or as bad or as whatever as people might be in it. Um, like Stellan Skarsgård, for instance, is, ends up being a horrible, horrible person in the movie. But his slow burn, like it really works. I don't know. I, I, I feel like people, I want to say people have seen this movie, but I know it's not one of those, like, it's not The Departed, right? It's, it's not, not this, huge. It's yeah. more of a cult following in the sense of, like, amongst action yeah. thriller and I, aficionados. And I literally, I just, I, I open, you know, on my Roku, I, I turned on Amazon Prime, I'm like, what, what's going to pop up? And I, I saw that this was right on there. I was like, Ronin. I haven't seen this in a good long while. And my kids were asleep. I was like, oh, I'm going to turn this on. It'll be perfect. And I, I think I was a little bit too young the first time that I saw it anyway, because I think I saw it was probably about 12 or 13, 14, somewhere that sounds in there. About I right. think yeah. I wasn't emotionally mature enough to enjoy the sort of the, the slow burn aspects of it. Sure. And yeah, it's yeah. only now as an adult that I've come to, man, this is a fucking good movie. It really is. Yeah. And it, it comes full circle back to our Manchurian Candidate episode. It, yeah, it's another Frankenheimer, yeah. which Manchurian yep. Candidate was only just edged out of my top 10 oh was it yeah it, I don't it, think it had was. we had we done a top 15 i think it might have edged in there i don't know if it would have for me there because you had too many on yours that probably would have from like life of brian probably would have been in my 11 through 15 yeah probably yeah. you know um but here's the thing ronan it's really good it's not too long great performances great direction and it, it almost feels like it feels like bullet in a way it's directed like it's got some of it's got like really extreme zoom ins and zoom outs it just it feels like it was filmed in the 70s and just it was yeah, just filmed it's in got 98 that cold war flavor yeah it really does which i i um, love cold and, war stuff and it's on prime so really do yourself a favor and check this out cuz i i for, i kind of forgot about it and i was so glad that it popped dinero's face holding the gun on that little that little image on on Prime was there because it, it totally took me right back to the movie and and it's good it's fun and and one it, of the last good I mean the Irishman hasn't come out at this point but one of the last really good De Niro performances yeah. before he stopped giving a shit that's true that's true because he was just about to meet to do Meet the Parents, parents which I yeah. think for me is the beginning of end of the end of good De Niro see I li- I like him in that I hate that he that he kind of signed on for the like the franchise of it right. because I think the next two I actually I can't say that I've I watched the third one but I did see Meet the I've, Fockers I've and, not seen the the third one but I mean the, the reason to watch the second one is, is Dustin Hoffman yeah that's fair uh, break break for refreshment exactly <sighs> exactly so yeah Ronin for me definitely my pick um for my recommend. Ian, what do you have? So I have something that's a little more closely tied to uh, Crying Game in the sense that they're both directed by Neil Jordan. Okay. And I have 1986's uh, Mona Lisa with Bob Hoskins, Kathy Tyson, uh, Michael Caine, and one of my favorite British character actors, Robbie Coltrane. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Has a, has a small role in it as a, as a friend of the George character played by Bob Hoskins. So in this, Bob Hoskins is a guy... Um, just gotten out of prison. He's done a seven-year stretch for something we we don't quite know what he did, but he took the fall for for something. And he comes back, and the first thing he does is to to go home and to see his daughter, who again hasn't seen in seven years. So she's all grown up, totally different. Um, and his wife won't hear from him. She kicks him away from the door immediately. And luckily, um, his friend Thomas, played by Robbie Coltrane, is is uh, he works just down the road, so he sees the ruckus and comes in and gets him and. Um, Hoskins is is looking to reconnect with the Mortwell character who was his boss played by Michael Caine and uh, can't find him he's out of town and so some of his some of Michael Caine's cronies give him uh, just a little side job just to keep him going uh, and they have him drive around the Kathy Tyson character who is a very high-end prostitute and uh you know, they're, they're, it's it's a couple kind of at odds with each other. They hate each other at first and then grow to love and sort of understand each other. But Hoskins finds out that he is being used for a different purpose, both by the Kathy Tyson character and by the Michael Caine character. I mean, it's an absolutely stunning performance. Probably the best performance from Bob Hoskins. Of course, he was nominated for mm-hmm. uh, an Oscar for it. And uh, it won the BAFTA, won the Golden Globe. I believe he lost the Oscar to Paul Newman, which was a historic first because he had been nominated for that character twice and Mm -hmm. then won for uh, the sequel, which I I don't know. I mean, Color of Money is okay. I mean, I haven't seen that in a good long while, so I I, I can't really. I would put it on the lower end of of good Scorsese. I mean, it's not not bad, but it's not not very memorable. It's certainly not as memorable as the original, The the Hustler, the first one. Yeah. Uh, But anyway, I... 
Mona Lisa is just one of those those great sort of underrated British gems. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's shot very kind of low-key, like most of Neil Jordan's films, and we'll get into that in The Crying Game as well. His yeah. films are not extraordinary looking. They're really driven by plot and by character. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's another. It's a story that's actually very similar to Crying Game in the sense that what we'll get into in that is the sort of unrequited, unrealized love. And, uh, of course, Hoskins longs for this this call girl, and, of course, she as I mentioned, has has motives all of her own, which I don't want to spoil for anybody who hasn't seen sure, it. And I, which I, I have not. Yeah, I, I, th- I think you'll like it. At least yeah. I hope you'll like it anyway. Um, it's also funny, while I'm thinking awards as well, Michael Caine was actually nominated for an Oscar that year as well, supporting Henry actor. Yeah, he won. And won that. Yeah, yeah the, he has a, a great little quote where he talks about because he wasn't there to yeah. accept it he yep. was shooting the fourth jaws and said well i never saw jaws but i saw the house it built yeah. and that's quite nice <laughs> which i'm fucking brilliant yeah. absolutely love that uh so mona lisa i don't know that it's it's streaming anywhere i did import the uh arrow video who are kind of a um i wouldn't call them a competitor to criterion but they certainly do uh, a similar thing that criterion do in the UK with making sure they do high-end restorations and really beautiful supplemental packages. Uh, same year that Hoskins died, or I think they ended up pushing it because of his death, but they were planning on doing a box set with both Long Good Friday, which is my favorite British gangster film of all time, and uh, Mona Lisa in a package together. And that, and sort of, unfortunately, it ended up becoming a tribute box set to, to Bob Hoskins because yeah. he died while they were putting it together. Um, so if anybody's got a region-free player, I highly recommend importing those two because they both look fabulous. You know, it's funny. I, 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 I And while we're while you mentioned that, I'm going to plug that um, I listened to your podcast on Cinemas oh, with Mike. Oh, thanks, man. And, uh, and the way you kept referring to some of the special features that were only on some of the UK imports, you're, you're pushing me, and I don't have any UK movies, but you're pushing me to want to get a, re, a region-free player Oh, and I can for I can, the purposes of anybody that's interested, you can reach out to me on Twitter, and I'll give you the the link to this great company out of uh, Illinois that actually uh, shipped the players uh, at their factory, and then it's super cheap. But the Sony that I have, I paid like one forty four. Well, I found tax. It, I found about that price yeah. online right around yeah. there. But yeah, anyways, uh, yeah. So there you go, Mona Lisa, a direct tie-in because of uh, our man Neil Jordan. Yeah, a who, great Bob Hoskins performance. Yeah, I, he's it's heartbreaking. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. So we are uh, talking today about the 1992 thriller slash romance slash I don't even know what uh, movie, uh, The Crying Game. Yeah, it's, it straddles a lot of different genres. It yeah. does a hell of a lot in its short running time. Yeah. Um, so this came out in 1992, uh, written, directed, uh, written and directed by Neil Jordan. Um, the casts mainly, uh, we have Stephen Ray as Fergus, also known in the movie as Jimmy. Uh, Jay Davison as Dill. Miranda Richardson as Jude. Forrest Whitaker as Jody. I also wrote down Adrian Dunbar as McGuire. Ralph Brown as Dave, who gets shot on quite a bit in this movie. And I'll tell you right now, my unsung hero of this movie. Jim Broadbent. Abso-fucking-lutely. I love Jim Broadbent he in this. He is phenomenal but in can this I ask movie. You, did he ever look young? Probably not. I know he's just one of those guys that's always looked yeah older yeah. than he really is. He was yeah he was he had a receding movie. hairline even then. Oh absolutely yeah absolutely he did and well and even before a, that we we covered him a little bit in our uh, Brazil episode and even in that yeah. he doesn't look yeah particularly young no uh, yeah yeah he he just was born he had he, old face old face old soul. Yeah, man. well, it shows he's a spectacular actor that doesn't nearly get enough love. So I'm glad you oh, yeah. plug him in this. Oh, absolutely, he is. He's great, and actually, it really, um, I think he he won for Iris, which um, great movie. But it, it I really have, is. I have. It's an underrated movie. I, I have like. PTSD when it comes to Iris. That's fine. I've only seen it once, but yeah. I, I remembered. I yeah. Anyways, he's great in that movie. Um, so speaking of uh, winning Oscars, this movie was up for uh, quite a bit of them. Um, it was up for picture, director, actor, supporting actor, original screenplay, and editing. Uh, it won best original screenplay. Um, the hilarious thing: have you, Did you watch Neil Jordan's acceptance speech for it? I did not. Somebody had to like literally pull him out of the bathroom because he didn't realize that his his category was coming up next, and oh, so he like snuck off to the bathroom. That's great. Yeah, that's funny. I like that a lot. Um, uh, uh, so yeah, so it won Best Original Screenplay, which for me is a big deal because Pulp Fiction made 
has made original screenplay my favorite category at the Oscars. And so it can be a, a dark horse, that category it, uh, more recently than, than I think in the past. It, 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 yeah, it's, it's weird. They tend to, I don't, I don't like that. They're going towards these, these things that are actually happen happen in real life. We're just well, now. You know, yeah. We've talked about that and how in a, in a different world, if m- movies based on true events, didn't get lumped into the original instead of the adapted yeah. and in Bruges could have won best original screenplay over milk. Man, that's, 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 a, that's, that's a tough, tough beat. That's yeah, a tough beat. It is. Um, uh, so, uh, it lost, uh, Stephen Ray lost best actor to Al Pacino instead of a woman and all the other nominations, uh, that year that it was nominated for, it lost to Unforgiven. I mean, that's yeah, it's a tough break, but I mean, yeah. what are you going to do? Unforgiven also, is... Eastwood's masterpiece. Yeah, and also just kind of a weird year for Best Picture nominees because it was Unforgiven, The Crying Game, Son of a Woman, A Few Good Men, and Howard's End. And those aren't bad movies, but just I, that's that's just such a very, very unique year of films. Yeah. Well, when it comes to Pacino movies, I'd take Son of a Woman right out and throw Glengarry in there. Well, I, I, you have a very, very soft spot oh, for Glengarry. Glengarry is, yeah. I still believe, the greatest ensemble piece in film history. Oh, hard to hard to hard to not to to not to deny that one. With spacey a, spacey aside. Okay, whatever. I, I know. I, I, we ha- we say that now he's a piece of shit, but I mean, I, we'll save this for like a usual suspects or exactly. whenever we get to it. Yeah, we'll have to do a deep dive <laughs> exactly. on spacey. Yeah. Um so uh it was nominated for one Golden Globe for best picture. It lost that. Uh BAFTA's one best British film lost film actor sporting actor sporting actress director and original screenplay neil jordan got a dga nomination at the independent spirits it won best foreign film um at the it, it was in the top 10 of the national board of review and also won most auspicious debut that's okay wait did they give that to neil jordan because that, this isn't nearly his first it's, film. It's not. So it's either it's either got to be Neil because when I looked it up, it didn't actually say. And so it's either got to be, be Jay Davidson or Jay Davidson, which I still find to be a weird award to give out. Right. It's a stellar performance. Um, at the National Society of Film Critics, it won Best Actor. It lost Film Supporting Actress, Supporting Actor, Screenplay and Director. It won the PGA, which uh, is it, that's kind of a big deal because that's a yeah. pretty pretty accurate precursor for winning Best Picture. So. More, you know, hat off to you. And it also won Best Original Screenplay from the Writers Guild. Well, before we move on from awards, we should also mention it was a particularly good year for Miranda Richardson because mm-hmm. she was also uh, getting a lot of awards attention for another film she was in that year, Damages. Oh, yes, with, that's right. Or, not Damage, Damage. Damage, yeah. Singular with uh, Jeremy Irons. There's a film about a political scandal. Have you seen it? I haven't. Okay, I haven't either. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to, though, because I love Miranda Richardson. Miranda Richardson is actually one of my... Uh, TV crushes from way back in the day. She was oh, yeah. Queenie on the uh, second season of Black Adder. Absolutely head over heels in love with her. I think she looked good in this. Yeah, she's spectacular. Yeah. I think I she made a very strong case for my unsung hero. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. That's that's and that's fair too. Absolutely. Um, so it is not actively on the IMDb 250. It has a 94 critical on the Rotten Tomatoes with a 78 audience. Which when I read that kind of makes sense. I I. I can understand yeah, that. Yeah, no, this is 100% a critics film. Yeah, and speaking well, speaking of critics, uh, did you do you have any reviews? I have Roger Ebert's okay, yeah. four-star review. Yep, that's what I have as that's uh, what I have as well. Would you like uh, would you like a portion of it? Yeah. Uh, some movies keep you guessing, some movies make you care. Once in a long while a movie comes along that does both things at the same time. It's not easy. Neil Jordan's The Crying Game keeps us involved and committed through one plot twist after another. It's one of the best films of 1992. Jordan's wonderful film does what Hitchcock's Psycho, a very different film, also did. It involves us deeply in its story, and then it reveals that the story is really about something else altogether. We may have been fooled, but so was the hero, and as the plot reveals itself, we find ourselves identifying more and more with him. Which, that is, to be compared to Hitchcock, I mean, that's... I could retire on that alone. That's a a big... That's a that's a big comparison right yeah, there, especially and, and, one of his best, like Psycho. Yeah, and I actually, as uh, I don't always crave reading the crave reading the reviews, um, but I actually enjoyed reading this one. I yeah. thought I thought Ebert did a really good job reading. Well, um, and, the, and for me, this is Ebert like well into his heyday. Like really, he is the powerhouse of critics at this point. Like we we mentioned uh, about him in the Apocalypse Now episode, and people used to say, "Well, what did Ebert say about it?" Yeah, and this is one of yeah. those reviews that I think that proved really his power mm-hmm. of persuasion. Mm-hmm. I just picked up his great movies book, which I, I never owned, but I found it cheap at a 
the yeah. bookstore. Anyways, I might have to borrow that off you and have total... a thumb through it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so before we, are you wanting to dive right into the plot? Because I've got a couple more ancillary. Do it. I was award I was... sort of things. Yeah, yeah. Um, so on the BFI's top one hundred English films, it does currently sit at number twenty six. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I like to have some context when I see. Uh, uh, not because uh, obviously I'm not going to sit here and prattle off the whole list to you, but yeah. just to give you on what's either side of it, uh, Full sure. Monty is at 25. Okay. Dr. Zhivago is right behind it at 27. So uh-huh. it's an interesting three films all there right in a row, I thought. But yeah. uh, number one on that list to give you, again, some context is The Third Man. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Which uh, we're talking about doing yep. before the end of the year, so mm-hmm. we can make sure we get that mm-hmm. in for its seventieth uh, seventieth anniversary. It's yeah, yep. going to be an exciting episode, indeed. Which indeed. you because you haven't seen it, right? No, I've seen it. Oh, you have? Yeah. Okay, no, I've seen Brilliant. it. Brilliant. So fuck you. Oh, damn. God damn. damn that's rude. Anyway, wait, wait, it's, me, uh, me or you? No. <laughs> which one? Are we both? Me rude? always, <laughs> always. Um, and then another list that I found that was really interesting, because um, I like to look at the box office figures as well. I don't always bring them up on the sure. episode, because sometimes yeah. they're not really relevant. Mm-hmm. But just while I'm talking about it, um, very small budget. It turned around and did incredible business uh, domestically, because this film had a less than $3 million budget, and in the States it did about $62.5 yeah. million. So, I mean, great return for them, especially after... Uh, Stephen Woolley and Neil Jordan putting so much of their own money to keep it going. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it was a daily thing yeah. trying to, to find funding for it. But uh, I have a list of the domestically top 10 highest grossing LGBTQ movies. Oh, okay. If you're interested in hearing I, that. I am interested in hearing uh, that. So Crying Game actually comes in right at the bottom at number 10. Okay. And then we have In and Out, Philadelphia, Talented Mr. Ripley, Brokeback Mountain, Imitation Game, Rocket Man. Interview with the Vampire, which I found to be a strange one on this list. Yeah, I find In and Out to be a little uh, right, okay, because it's not. It's about a guy that is confused for being. He's he's acute. Well, I shouldn't use the word accused, but somebody believes he is and spreads yeah. that rumor. Yeah, right. It, yeah, it's okay. Uh, Birdcage is number two. Okay, and of course, Bohemian Rhapsody did stupid amounts of money, so that's currently at number one. So this is really just like movies with LGBT characters in it, right? Right. Okay. Which so again, not, not I, really that it's about him being gay. Right. Okay. But that, that, I don't like that list at all. No. I, well, that's that's just the numbers. I no, mean, I know. It's not, I know. It's not ranked by how good they are. I, because I know. that would be I, a totally different list. I, yes. I, uh, yes. Interview probably wouldn't even be on there. I'm, I'm a, a fucking hoping Bohemian Rhapsody wouldn't be on there. Right. But it's, it's amazing to me that Neil Jordan has two on there. Because he directed Interview of the Vampire. Did he? He did. See, I've never seen that movie, so I don't have any. You've any... never seen Interview with the Vampire. I have had, is... I have had no interest to see that. movie. You know, it's it gets a bad rap. It's really not as bad as most people make it out to be. And Tom Cruise is, yeah, probably not the right choice for the stat once you've read the books and understand that character a little bit more. But I mean, you have to understand he was the biggest star in the world at the point. He's that, still kind of pretty much. He, is. he still pretty much is. But, but no, no, no. I, 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 it's not. It's not because Tom Cruise is in the movie. I like Tom Cruise. We, we've talked at length yeah. about. That we that he's a he's a very watchable actor, and he's, he gets to chew some fucking scenery in this oh, I, thing, man. He I, blows. I, this is Brad Pitt, right as Brad Pitt was getting big, because he had a big year in '94 between this and Legends of the Fall, and then he turned around and did uh, Seven and and Twelve Monkeys. This is true, right true when romance he was is peaking. also '94. Yep. Wait, uh, no '93. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, yeah, but inter- I give Interview a shot. It's not that bad. Right, okay, it's 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 fun. I, kind of I, cheesy. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not against a little it. bit anticlimactic. The ending, I'll warn you of that. Sure, but it's also famous for. I mean, it was supposed to be a river. River Phoenix was supposed to be in it in the part yes. that um, Christian Slater. Christian Slater yeah, you mentioned yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but so so getting into the plot and and you know, it, it's not too tricky. So the movie basically opens up and uh, Forrest Whitaker playing Jody uh, is uh, is. Uh, taken and held hostage. Basically, he's duped by Miranda Richardson into thinking that they're going to have some kind of a sexual escapade uh, at, at a fair, I think is what it looks like. And uh, Stephen Ray and some of the other cohorts there. Um, he's uh, a he's a British him. soldier that's been yeah. stationed in Ireland. And, and uh, they tell him that basically they are members of the IRA and uh, that they are going to, they basically want to do a, a swap, right? That somebody's been yeah, taken in. Yeah, they're, by... they're holding him so that one of their high up leaders can be... Um released yeah which of course we know is that's not gonna happen yeah not for just one british soldier anyway and through the course of some conversation stephen ray 
uh, as Fergus. So Fergus and Jody tend to, they, they seem to have a, a pretty good, not, how do I say, not pretty good, but they seem to have a cordial relationship, very chatty. Yeah, there's some chemistry that develops between them. And we basically, you know, we, we sort of, and this will get repeated uh, throughout the movie that, you know, Stephen Ray is a good guy and he does not want to have to kill Jody if and when the time comes. And unfortunately, it does. And I want to talk about this at length now, but let's get through just talking about the plot. Um, and, and, and as the events unfold, it, it comes to fruition that Fergus is going to have to shoot Jody. Jody runs off, but Fergus won't shoot him in the back. And in the process of this, uh, Jody gets hit by like a mini tank Jeep thing um, in the middle of the road. And the IRA sort of uh, hideout is obliterated by uh, machine gun fire from these helicopters. Uh, but Stephen Ray and um, so Ferguson and, and Jude and I don't what's the other guy's name? Uh, oh, uh, the, uh, they're sort of their leader. McGuire. Yes, McGuire. Um, they, they all escape, although um, Fergus one way through the woods and then um, Jude and McGuire some other way. Cut to a few months later and uh, Fergus is now working in England. He's made his way there kind of through secret. He's got a different name now. He's going by Jimmy. But he's only gone there because through his conversations with Jody while he was being um, held hostage, he saw a picture of Dill, played by Jay Davidson, um, who is in, who, um, sorry, I keep going back between actor and character name. Forrest Whitaker is in a relationship with this, with this woman, or so we think, and if you don't know the twist already, then I kind of gave it away, but whatever. Um, I think it's one of the most famous twists you in would film think history. So, yeah. I mean, if you if you know enough about if you know what the crying game is, you probably already know the if twist. If you've seen Ace Ventura, you already kind of know what the twist oh, is. Fuck. Sorry, yeah, should we bring that up? We'll, we'll, have, to, up we'll have to deal with that shit. I know. Um and so uh f- uh Fergus, also known as Jimmy at this time, kind of tracks her down. She works at a hair salon, he gets a haircut, he follows her to this bar, the Metro, and uh we get a great scene with uh oh i don't know i think it's the second time but we get a great scene between um stephen ray and um jim broadbent and jay davidson woods like do you see that look what look they gotta go back and I think, no that's the, the first thing because they're looking at each other in the reflections off of the bar yeah. and there cole is acting cole the broadbent character is acting as a kind of middleman yeah. which which i'll tell you right now that is my favorite scene i yeah i love that i, love I really lot. do love that and um and so stephen ray is persistent and keeps coming back and, and starts talking to, to Dill and they kind of start to have a relationship. And as, as Fergus gets more into Dill's life, he gets invited up into her place. Uh, he kind of, kind of proves himself by handling Dave who is being rough with, with Dill a couple times throughout the movie. And Fergus starts asking a lot of questions about Jody because there's lots of pictures of Forrest Whitaker in, in Dill's apartment. And, you know, one thing basically leads to another, and during a, a, a sexual episode between the two, if if you hadn't known already, you will now know that Jay Davidson is not a woman. She is a man, and there was a very, very blatant shot of Jay Davidson's penis, so we can be very clear that Jay Davidson is a man, um, or born a man. We can talk about that later. And uh, Fergus reacts in a certain way, and he leaves... But bringing back that he is a he's a good guy, he he does actually have have feelings for Dill. So he's not like I don't want you in my life. I don't know if I can have a relationship with you. And then Miranda Richardson comes back into play. Uh, her and McGuire basically say we got to go do this hit, and he gets sucked back into this life. And Jay Davidson gets jealous because who is this woman? What are you doing? Not knowing that he's been a part wrapped up in this bigger scheme to basically do a hit on some uh, some judge and and dill just kind of unfortunately gets caught in the middle mm-hmm. and and the sort of the, the little the last little bit of it you know dill restrains him in her bed from going to do the hit the hit goes totally wrong mcguire gets obliterated uh miranda richardson takes off finds him at dill's place dill kills miranda richardson but fergus being the good guy that he is uh gets her to leave puts his fingerprints on the gun and takes the rap. And the last scene of the movie is Fergus serving his time and Dill counting the days until he is, he is released. And I believe the very last thing we hear is um, 
When Fergus, a man loves a woman. Well, yes, but Fergus retelling the story of the scorpion and the frog that that uh, Jody tells him while they're held captive together. And yes, when a man loves a woman, to, I, I to love bookend the, this movie. I love the the cheeky opening song. I was going to say, yeah. What no, if, sorry. It's when a man loves a woman opens the film. Yes. It's Stand by your man that closes. Yes. It. Thank you. Yes, that's yes. right. I, yeah. I love the the cheeky sort of double entendre opening and closing the uh, the movie with those two songs. I think that's. Uh, I think that speaks to Neil Jordan's very Irish sense of humor. Yeah, it, it, it's. I actually, my first note is when a man loves a woman. What are our thoughts on this? Yeah. What do we What do we think about that? I I love it. I, I think, think it's. it's very funny. I think it's very cheeky. And it's. I think it's only cheeky after the first time you watch it. Right. Because and and where did this? Did you say this was the first time you'd seen this? It was. Yeah. Okay. And okay. I assumed that the twist was closer to the end. I didn't realize that the revelation comes about halfway through yeah well no this this movie is three movies oh yeah it is it's from the opening to basically when Forrest Whitaker gets gets hit by the car there's Fergus's new life in London with Dill and that basically and the end of that is sort of the revelation that that Dill is a man and also Miranda Richardson coming back into the movie because there's still like 30 minutes left of the movie at that point yeah and so it really is these 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 three very clear chunks of movie. Yeah, and they're all very different genres as well. And I think yes. this is why it won original screenplay and why it sort of struck a nerve with so many people and why it has. I think it stood the test of time. Some people might argue with me, but I think it's got, even even after you know the reveal, I think it's still got some rewatchability to it. I, this is the least enjoyable viewing of it that I've I've experienced. This is it your second, second, third. third time? Okay. It's my third. All right. And and it, I don't think it's because I know that the twist is coming, but I think it's more, I think the everything with Forrest Whitaker at the beginning is awesome. I I love that kind of stuff. Oh, okay. So this is where we are going to clash so hard. Are we? Oh, yeah. I can't wait. That's uh, great. This is Forrest Whitaker's worst performance that I've ever seen. Oh, okay. Out of him. He I'm, is fucking Awful. I and the reason not only because she's so good in it, but my I I came into this thing. Well, I'll give a little background. My first time seeing it, and I knew that I was going to pair Mona Lisa with it because I love that. You know, that's my favorite Neil Jordan film. So I I rewatched it, and uh, I I went into Crying Game almost assuming that based on what I'd heard about it, which was very little other than the twist, that I was going to come into this thing replacing. Crying Game with Mona Lisa in the book. Gotcha. Okay. And for the first 30 minutes, yeah, 100% believe that because Forrest Whitaker is fucking unwatchable in this. And my unsung heroes were going to be Stephen Rea and Miranda Richardson for having to act with him. <laughs> I'm sorry, mate. He did not go to Tottenham to learn that accent. He may as well have gone to fucking South Africa to oh, learn it. I okay. just, Liz and I, Liz actually got up and left the room. She's like, I'm going for a fucking walk because I can't watch Forrest Whitaker in this. This is this is Forrest Whitaker, Academy Award winning actor, one of the greatest performance of the two thousands with the, his EDM in. Sure, one hundred percent deserve that award. I know you have your stance on people winning awards for playing real people, but it is one of the best performances of that decade. My my issue isn't his performance, or necessarily with people winning for that, but it, it's that, and I, I have a problem with the way movies. Um, push who's going to be nominated for what because that movie is not actually about Forrest Whitaker. No. That movie is James McAvoy's movie. He should have been supporting. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same thing with with Training Day. Who's, whose story are we following? It's not Alonzo. It's not Denzel. It's yeah. Ethan Hawke. Right. It's his story. And while they both got nominated, anyways, that's a that's neither here nor there. Right. Um, but I, I'm sitting through this thing thinking he had, he got this role because he had uh, recently been nominated for a Globe for uh, Bird. Yes. Uh, playing Charlie Parker in, in Eastwood's movie, which I haven't seen, but I hear is fantastic. I've heard it's good too, yeah. Um, and I know that they needed an American name to sell the film overseas. That that totally makes sense. But as a director, if I'm sitting there listening to this and going, I he can't do the accent. Like, he's just not believable. Can't do the accent. I, It's insufferable how bad that accent is. His line reading during the scorpion and the frog scene, why'd you sting me then? Is one of the worst line readings I have ever heard in a film, ever. I do I do have a couple of notes in here. I said, how do we feel about Forrest Whitaker's accent? And then I also wrote down, where was Forrest Whitaker in his career? Because 
like he I, you say that you you mentioned that you know having an american name to help sell the movie but it's like was Forrest Whitaker putting asses in seats in theaters back back then in the early 90s late 80s probably not i don't think so no. it's and i and i'm not yes Forrest Whitaker is a good actor he is not great in this but when i say i like the first that 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 first part more is i that's the part of the story i find the most interesting I like watching Stephen Ray struggle with, you know, how do I feel about this guy? Like, and clearly they 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 do have some laughs despite the fact that Forrest yeah, the, Whitaker the is being held hostage, and, where he's got to help him take a piss. I, yeah, I do genuinely. I like that. That's good writing, and I believe their chemistry yeah, there's, in there's, that. There's a back. It's right. It's like right as it's like some of the first time that they're alone together, and and uh, Stephen Ray says, "So what's your name, soldier? Fuck you." Yeah. I, was, I just, I just, I do. There's some of the, yeah. the, the, the writing is great in this. And I just wish there was a better performance behind it. Like I said, that line reading, why'd you sting me then? It reminded me, I was sitting there and in my notes, I put Eric Idle question mark. Cause I was like, that sounds like Eric Idle doing the shit haggler in life of Brian. <laughs> it's awful. It's that really pitched over the top. It's in handsome, my nature. Yeah. Why'd you sting me then? It's oh my! It is so insufferably bad. You know what's crazy though is I I, I think maybe for me I, okay this is maybe I'm I I don't know what I'm doing when I say this but I think at least it was the commitment to the same to to it it just I never even thought about it like I just go this far, is this far is, as Whitaker's accent yeah this is just it's gonna be what it is and I allowed myself to let the the story and the writing kind of take me through it i was i was trying man. I, I was I, trying I, so I wrote hard down i mean i did i had notes about the accent but i was like okay that it's that's very true i it's not it's not good but in fact in that frog and frog and scorpions i heard three distinct different accents in it and i'm no accent expert i'm, I'm really not but i heard three very different ones in there like which and is I'll, why i said he may as well have gone to south africa to learn how i'll, I'll take i will on i'll take your word for it because right. i i don't i don't know where i know that i know that there are different regions and obviously throughout throughout well he's supposed to be from tottenham which is north north london yeah and yeah no not even close although i do there's there's one thing um i gotta say and maybe it's maybe it's like this is the equivalent of like hitting a dinger which is a home run or like there's some but like I love he throwing throwing googlies, throwing googlies, throwing googlies. Yeah, that that's a that's a uh, what cricket thing, right? Oh, you see, I I played cricket a little bit in school. I was pretty good at bowling, but beyond that, I've I, no I, idea. I just I just loved that that that's a that's a thing that somebody said is throwing googlies. I just I have to bring that up because no. it's very funny, and, and you can't speaking, not hear it. Speaking of the the cricket scenes, there I I appreciate. That Jody is is so much on his mind while he's there in England. I mean, it's the whole reason he's gone there. He's gone there because he wants to honor his promise yeah. to Jody, and so I've got to find Dill and make sure Dill is taken care of. But there's a moment that it didn't derail the movie for me, but it definitely there was something about it that just rang false, and it was kind of like a gotcha moment after the reveal. And and Stephen Ray is is laying there in bed, and he's thinking about. Jody, there's the moment where Jody walks up to camera and he's slowly tossing the ball up yeah. and down in the and air, he's got catching that smirk. it. And yeah, exactly. Like, ha ha, I got you, told you so. Kind of like that. You just completely undercut the power of the reveal. Just not maybe not completely, but enough to where it's uh, that was that was a questionable decision. Now, okay, now I I because that 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 moment really glaringly stood out to me too, but not in a bad way. But it really does stick out. Yeah, and I and I can't tell if it's because obviously this is. I mean, we got to be real. That Steve, Fergus is in, is envisioning this entire thing, like like there's this isn't this, we're not what I mean clearly it's a it's a dream or something because because Forrest Whitaker is in a completely black room like lit like he's an angel doing this so clearly it's not it's, real it's his perception of Jody but I, I I I is that are we meant to think or I, yeah I guess are we meant to think that Fergus is thinking that Jody put one on him. That is what the scene kind of implies to me, and I think that's kind of tonally a little bit wrong. And then, but then, if you track it back, it, it makes you think that when when Jody is telling Fergus to you know go check, make, tell her that I you know I thought about her, and, and basically you know follow up and, and and all of that, it's like it's it's making us think that maybe 
Jody was planning for this thing to happen the whole time that that Fergus would go and fall in love with her and then find out that she was a man and I don't I don't think that's true. So I'm what I the way that's, I break that's it down, a lot of dots to connect. Exactly. So I I think it's just you know in that state of of having found out something that you didn't think was going to be what you found out. I think that's his mind just wandering like did he did he fuck me over? But I know yeah, the gut reaction. Of, yeah, 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 no, the immediate. He's, he's fuck, even yes. even beyond even beyond death, he's fucking with me. Yes, yes. Which I don't. I think that's just a like a, a thought that he had in that state. I don't think. I'm not saying that either one of us were saying this, but I don't think this is some elaborate scheme. Like in in the days that he was held hostage, that Jody was thinking maybe I can get Fergus to go check on Dale and I'll trick him and and he'll find out that she's a man. And because how are you not supposed to fall in love with Dale? I was. I'm completely taken with Jay Davidson's performance. So, I I buy it 100%. And it's so here's here's what I want to say about that because th- that we should talk about this um, before we do. Okay, to try and stay continuity wise. Well, now whatever. it sounded like you had issues with uh, Forrest Whitaker's death before we move away from him completely and get on to, to Jay Davidson. No, so it's funny. His death is so it's so interesting and it's. I think if if for some reason that happened later in the movie, I would have been pissed about it. I think when it happens in the movie, I buy it because obviously we have to get to the next thing. But it is so all of a sudden. and Yeah, it's really – it knocks the wind out of you. And it's weird because I, I don't – usually I feel like I fall one way or, or the other on, on a thing that happens so suddenly like that. It's it like in a way it's – it's not unlike the way that Leo gets killed in The Departed, bringing that back up. Like it's so like, what the fuck? Yeah. Wait. How, wait, how did that happen? And this comes in the same way. It comes out of nowhere. You're not expecting him to get hit by a goddamn tank jeep thing, right? So, because Fergus, un- Fergus, he, well, he manages to undo his ropes and he runs from Fergus, and Fergus just can't shoot him in the back. Yes. And so, you know, Forrest Whitaker just isn't looking, runs into the road, and gets fucking turned into roadkill. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's pretty vicious. But I. In a weird, not just because I hated the Forrest Whitaker performance so much, and I'll try to let that go as we go on, but it'll probably come up again. Um, I kind of wanted Fergus to kill him, to for for the character's sake to really dig deep into to how much guilt and regret he's going to have to feel later. I almost feel like the film would have more more balls, if you'll pardon the pun. Uh, I didn't mean, yeah, don't know where that came from. Um, male reproductive organs. Yeah, Jesus. Um, good one. <laughs> completely, completely accidental. Excuse me if that sounded insensitive. Um, I just, I feel like it would have more weight had he actually killed Jody. I don't. I, 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 I. My gut instinct is is to disagree with you because I think we have. He has to go in there being a good guy. I think. I think we have to keep pounding that in because he keeps proving it. Over and over again. Like but then, it, wouldn't his redemption be more cathartic? It would be a, a greater rise from being I, I, an IRA but, but terrorist? Then, I don't know if we care about, like, if he kills Jody, then it seems like he's got real ill and... I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see the redemptive qualities of going to find Dill later. I, I see it more sinister. I see it more like, I'm going to go... I'm gonna go try to fuck this guy's girl now. Now that he's dead, if if or if to, he or to cover him. my ass. Yeah, there's something. Yeah, there's something. There's something more sinister about him, yeah. if he's the one who kills Jody. I I, I just like, wanted I wanted him to be more conflicted about Jody's death. I think he is still. You think so? Because I don't think I don't think he was going to shoot him. I don't I, think so. Either. I, I realize that he ran and that he wouldn't shoot him. And he keeps saying I wouldn't shoot him in the back. He, that he tells that to a couple of people, but I think I I really don't think he was going to shoot him. It's, well, it's a very different movie. I think it would have to be a longer movie. Well, sure, he, and, and granted, that, that's just pure speculation. We will never know, but I, I think it, like I, I you know and because he is such a nice guy, I do think that Fergus is feels responsible for his death. Yeah, and that's just me spitballing. Oh I mean, sure, yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm torn about. The accidental death versus a deliberate death. And yeah, yeah. I, well, I think friend, you'd, you'd have a, a very we're just, we're just throwing shit out there. Exactly. That's I think we can you'd do. have a very different dynamic. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. For the rest of the film. Totally. Yeah. And it probably yeah. I mean, who am I to question Neil Jordan? Is probably he won the Academy Award, so he made the right choice. That's. I mean, there you go. <laughs> but, well, and especially when it comes to we'll get to the, but the ending that the, he like the the horrible ending he filmed that he never intended to be. 
Yeah, I, I was looking into... To the, I couldn't find... Oh, it's on the DVD. Oh, it is? Okay. Yeah. The, the, the actual scene. I couldn't find it on YouTube. Yeah, it's... it's it's So it's the same... It's the same ending where... Um, well, okay, it's the same... Uh, Dill shoots... Miranda Richardson. Jude. Yeah. He tells her to leave. He puts his fingerprints on the gun. But instead of like... it just I think it just kind of... We hear the sirens and we, we get the implication we, of yeah, what's going to happen. Yeah, we see Dill running away. Yeah, and he stays in the to, room. To prison. Uh, in, in the alternate ending, Stephen, Stephen Ray escapes. He climbs out the window and we see him kind of running on these like London rooftops. Uh, there's a scene of, of Dave entering the apartment, getting the shit kicked out of him by the police again because they think he did it. Now, now, no, 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 no. Here's the thing. We're not, we're not meant to believe that he's taking the rap for it. He just, it's like one more scene of him getting his ass kicked. And then it's months. Poor Ralph Brown. I know. And then it's months later. It's snowy. It's Christmas time. It's like ooh. And Dill is still oh, working. Oh, already I fucking hate this yeah. ending. And Dill is still working at the um the hair salon, and is and there's one of the 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 woman working at the like reception is like oh you already have somebody in your seat and Dill walks up and there's like a towel over it there's a towel over his head oh. and uh, she takes it off and it's him. It's the fucking romantic comedy end. It, it is. It is. Oh, and, I uh, hate that. Yeah. I hate that so much. Yep. And and they and they had to actually like they had to get a snow machine like it it was a considerable cost to film this yeah. alternate ending that Neil Jordan had no intention of ever ever putting into this movie yeah. so yeah. It, it's it's one of those great cases for you know you got to stand your ground against yeah. you know the distributors the studio or whoever oh wait you're talking about you. the movie I thought you were talking about stand your ground laws like in Florida I'm just kidding Jesus Christ <laughs> sorry <laughs> yeah but I guess that too I I don't I don't yeah. fucking know yeah um. Jay Davidson. Let's talk about it. Spectacular. Okay. Um, I'm very disappointed that he only made two films and a couple of shorts. Yeah. Yeah. It really was a short-lived career. And if nobody knows who Jay Davidson is, if you've seen Stargate, As in, yeah. he plays uh, Ra, the sun god in Which, that. In I it. haven't, but I... You've never seen Stargate. Again, I have no interest in seeing Adam, it. You, you love Independence Day. Do I? I don't love Independence well, Day. Well, you, you pushed for us to do it. I pushed for it for the poll because I thought yeah. it made sense. Yeah, yeah, I know. But I, I figured that you had uh, some sort of affinity for it. Sure, sure. Okay, Stargate is better. Okay. Like, in, in the Roland Emmerich, uh, I forget the other guy's name, that that director-producer partnership, I forget who is. Uh, oh, I, he's I have no idea. head of uh, Warner Brothers now. But, um, yeah, in that producing dynamic, Stargate is spectacular. It's one of the underrated uh, Kurt Russell performances. And it's just a fun sci-fi yarn. I think it's it's legacy. The legacy of the film has been tarnished slightly by the numerous television spin-offs sure. that have been yeah, on yeah. the Sci-Fi Channel. But if you cut all that garbage and just go back to the original, it is a good dose of just sci-fi action fun. Right. And right. Jay Davidson is really sinister in it. Okay, like the polar opposite of what he does here. I think he shows that he had incredible range, and it's such a shame that he decided he didn't want to pursue acting any further and when continued to be. I believe he's a fashion. Uh, photographer okay sure um I, I read a funny thing in the trivia that he used uh his his earnings from crying game to buy himself this beautiful leather jacket that he had, had an eye on or something like that but sure um yeah stargate's fantastic man put it on your radar okay okay um so but just you know going back to, to jay davidson in this movie i i can tell you that when i watched this movie for the first time and this was like in high school because i went i totally went through a phase of because of Pulp Fiction, watching like Crying Game, Pulp Fiction, Fargo, Usual Suspects, like in a, like all those best original screenplay winners, Thumb on Louise, right? That's I I totally watched like all of them. Sidebar: How do you feel about Thumb and Louise winning original screenplay? I'm I'm fine with it. I was just wondering. I didn't know if you had a hot take. I can't I can't remember off the top of my head what else it was up against that year. Um, so I don't know. Oh, okay. Well, we'll have to do an Ulti- episode on ultimately, that. Ultimately, I'm fine with it. Excellent. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> uh, I no, continue. Um, and so, you know, being like, you know, 14, 13, 14, when I, when I first watched this movie, I definitely didn't know that Jay Davidson was a man. So, uh, you know, kudos on casting, kudos for the, 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 the big, um, big reveal in the movie. I, I get it. Subsequent viewings, it does seem more obvious the more that I watch it and and that's not, that's not bad or good or anything. I'm just, I'm just saying like that it's, it's like this time watching it, not just because I know the twist, but like really looking at Jay Davidson, I'm like, yeah, I can, I just feel like I, I get it. I get it. Now. I also think that Jay Davidson is good in this movie, but 
there was a part in this movie, my my least actually, it's so funny. The way that you feel about Forrest Whitaker in, in this movie is the way I feel about Jay Davidson lip syncing the crying game. It's, I hate and I hate I, I hate rough. it in this movie and I hate it when they do it in any movie because if it's not a musical and the song isn't like really expressing like the like the direct feelings of what somebody is is, is saying to somebody else don't do it I I I hate I hate that I think it's a shitty stupid trope I don't like it no so how in the context <sighs> of of the crying game and the the song how do you feel about it being used as the title because this is the second time that and I'll I'll probably keep referencing back to Mona Lisa a couple times but this sure. is the second time that Neil Jordan took a, a rather famous pop song and used it as the uh, the title of his film because Mona Lisa is also that the Nat King Cole song and then of course um, Crying Game is originally by Dave Barry and I believe it was covered by uh, Boy George for this film yeah that, that sounds I'm just right. curious how you feel about the title does it work for you I you know I it it, it does and actually I, th- I think I think it's one of the all-time great titles because it's not it's a, it's disarming. Yeah, right? you don't you don't quite know what it means. It's like in, better than the original title, which for years the Soldier's I, Wife, and I think they even shot this film under the title The Soldier's Wife. Yeah, funny, it was Kubrick yes. who convinced yep. Neil Jordan to change it so that yep. people wouldn't be expecting a military film. Yeah, I, I I don't know. Yeah, there's something great about about that title. It doesn't it doesn't really tell you enough, but it seems really specific. It's like yeah. for me, it's like in, in a totally different way. But like I I think one of my favorite all time titles of a movie is The Silence of the Lambs. Because it's it doesn't really tell you anything about the movie, right? And it's it's a little kind of almost ancillary reference yeah. to a conversation yeah. that almost means nothing. But I I yeah. But so, again, means everything. Yeah, exactly. So I think the crying game is great, and I, I do think that it's. I, I don't know what the crying game specifically means to the movie, but I, I do think it's it's a great misleading, vague, and yet somehow kind of specific title. Right. It's it, it hooks you. I yeah. Think. Yeah. Totally. It does a it great totally job does. of going. Well, what what is that? Yeah. I I did get a little um. The repetition of it got to be a little a little much. Oh, the song per- personally. Being, and yeah, he, he does the same in Mona Lisa. He uses the song maybe two times more than he should because it's play it's played over the beginning of over the titles of Bob Hoskins getting out of prison and walking uh, across a very famous bridge in in London towards the, the Houses of Parliament, and then uh, just a couple minutes later we hear it again on the radio. Yeah, yeah, but I know. I I mean I. It's it's funny. I mean, I think I I do think that this this movie got kind of um overhyped though. I don't think it's as good as people thought it was back in 1992. Like like revisiting it, you know, 17 years later. And and if you know the the title, if you know the twist as well, some of the sting unfortunately is going to be lost. Yeah. This is one of the films where I wish I hadn't known what yes. was going to happen yeah. and be actually really being able to be taken aback by it. It doesn't it doesn't numb my feelings towards it any it's just an unfortunate yeah. ah i wish i hadn't known that yeah because i the the thing i really wanted to get to about this movie what liz and i uh really had a great conversation about after watching it was um how ahead of its time it was as far as uh trans relationships uh and the sort of whole lgbtq community and and what it speaks to about sort of trans relationships, how ahead of its time it is for that, and especially the thing that why I said poor Ralph Brown earlier is I'm I'm fascinated by his character. I wish he wasn't just a punching bag in the film. Yeah, uh, because he is a, he's a closeted homosexual who very clearly hates the feelings that he has, and sure. that's why he reacts violently uh, and, and is very rough with um, with Dill. Yeah. Uh, I would like to get a little bit more of the the psychoanalysis behind his character, though I do love the scene where she starts throwing his shit oh, yeah. out of the uh, out oh, of the man. window and take your goldfish, the goldfish too. That's that epic. I just I was dying laughing oh, during God. that. What did, oh, she, he says something I, in reaction to that? Yeah, oh, uh, not my goldfish. He calls her like a monster or something like that. Oh, he, he does call her a murderer. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> So I so are your unsung heroes uh, Stephen Ray and Miranda Richardson or, or did you did you go one way or the other? No, I yeah I it's a it's a split way tie <laughs> for them having to deal with Forrest Whitaker. Though I do oh, I God. it would be Jay Davidson, but I feel like Davidson is is sung enough. That's true. Yeah, for it, what for what he does, yeah. and it's I I think the other reason why this film is so ahead of its time is we keep referring to Dill as she. Yeah, and that's I think probably one of the reasons you probably love Jim Broadbent in it. He has that very great exchange. 
after the fact with Stephen Rhea, yep. Uh, yep. where Stephen Rhea says, yeah, but she's not a girl, is she? And uh, Broadbent very casually says, whatever you say. Yeah. I love that. Oh, that moment, like, lifted my spirits so much as far as, you know, trans relationships yeah. and, and trans rights and things like that. I really yeah. love that that attitude. Well, is essentially saying, yeah, yeah, but she is, though, isn't she? Yeah. Yeah. God, he's so good in the movie. I love the he bit really too. He's like, "You're becoming a regular." He's like, "What does that mean?" Well, I get to get, I get, to, get to say things like the usual call. Yeah, I just, I just things like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's and he gets some good little, just cheeky one-liners too. I just, he's just, he's just great. And I, I love also love the scene the second time that not sorry, like it's like the third or fourth time that Stephen Rhea comes into the metro and finally starts to realize, oh, this is a this is a gay bar, and you know, there's other movies that would handle that rather indelicately. And this this handles it with a lot of grace and the respect that I think it deserves, which again is another reason why I call it ahead of its time. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. This isn't one of those recoiling in horror. Oh my God, she's got a penis kind of thing. Kind of like in opposite to the end of Sleepaway Camp, which is just oh, a ninety yeah. minute trans joke. Well, but the I don't. It's funny. I, I don't know. I don't know that it's it's so mishandled at the end of Sleepaway Camp. I think I think the horror is that that. I mean, it, it's 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 kind of the similar reveal because we see that this woman has had a penis the entire time, and we we get that that's that's what's going on. Um, I think I think the it's it, it it looks mishandled because of the shock. When I think the shock is that that also a dead body is like a head is just rolled. Well, well, but I, I think I the, think it's I think it's Ace Ventura, which kind of parodies this. That that I mean, and, and it's a, it is a parody, but takes right. it like in the total. Yeah. The so both for me both. Whereas this is ahead of its time and is actually trying to do something yes, for okay, trans and, awareness. Yes, Sleepaway Camp doesn't do that. No, I, Sleepaway I Camp and Ace Ventura they are very much a backward step. As far as that's I, concerned, I would say Ace Ventura is a backward step. I think Sleepaway Camp is not a backward step. I just think that it, I don't think it even thought about it. Probably not. Yeah. Whereas, whereas Ace Ventura, but you could say that lack of awareness is is a backward step. Sure. I'm. Yes. I mean, you know. Uh, yeah. 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 I, I, I know. I'm. I'm not trying to no, shit on no, a movie you no, enjoy, no, no. but oh no 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 no, it's not that. The movie. The movie is not a good movie. No. I just don't know how if it's a necessarily a backward step but yeah. i could see where i, I want to call it, it endearing but i just can't no endearing yeah no it's not <laughs> <laughs> it's not it's not no um so and, and my favorite so my favorite scene in the movie is is that i love the cute little back and forth between call and dill and, and fergus yeah. uh, that is that is my favorite moment in the movie. although although as shots go i love the opening i love that really slow pan oh, under the bridge right. i think Tracking that's along fantastic yeah, yeah. That, yeah it looks great i it mean lasts, i knew i was it, in for a good film it with lasts that. the length of the song and and it, it doesn't nothing really happens you just you hear the fair and you kind of see it and it, but it's just, it's, it's a very smooth shot. Yeah. It's it, unusual for a, a Neil Jordan film. Cause as I mentioned earlier, Neil Jordan films are rather unextraordinary looking. Yeah. He's more about plot and character. And yeah. so it's, it's the rare, and I'd, I'd hate to call it flashy cause it's not even that, but it is the rare sort of stylized shots in his films. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. And, and I, and granted I, my, my Neil Jordan, you know, filmography knowledge isn't, it doesn't run, doesn't run deep, but from even like seeing trailers of other things, like I know when when Breakfast on Pluto came out, that I, I remember like I remember that that was a movie that came out, yeah. And some like Butcher Boy and other things too. Like I've seen trailers, I haven't seen these movies, but like he doesn't. Flashy is not the word I would use. Right, kind of reminds me. I mean, Jonathan Demi had more of a like he had more of a Jonathan Demi style, but still not flashy. Right. in that way. Yeah, it, it's hard to say that Neil Jordan has a style. Yeah. In fact, the most stylized film I think of his has been one of his more recent ones, the Byzantium, the vampire movie that he did with um, blanking on the actress's name now, uh, Gemma Gemma Arterton, I think her name is. No idea. Yeah, it was a good enough movie, but I I will take your word for yeah. it, my friend. I, I think he is one of our more underrated directors. I think he's got a guy. He's a guy that has always had a lot to say, especially when it comes to. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, trans rights and yeah. and uh, being awareness for for uh, other genders or or sexual orientations because he does the same thing at the end of Mona Lisa. Again, I won't ruin it for anybody, but for what Michael Caine is uh, excuse me, what Bob Hoskins is being used for in that. I guess I guess the one the last thing I would bring up to you about like the film specifically, not about its legacy or anything, but just in the movie is how do you feel about the not the ending in jail, but the ending with Miranda Richardson coming in and, and Dill shooting. Her. Well, I, I, I wish there were more scenes between 
Jude and uh, and Dill. I, I love their antagonistic relationship, and I, I love her saying to, to Stephen Ray, it was that, oh, that cute little ass, is that what she lured my Jody away with? You know, all the way through the film, it's he's still her Jody. Yeah. I, yeah. I love the... I love the sweetness of that, and I love how vindictive and the the revenge that she kind of gets at the end with Jude. Um, again, I, Jude is the I've mentioned to you performances that I feel are the um, not just the unsung unsung hero, but the um, they're doing the, the, heavy... the thankless role. Yes, and yeah. that's kind of what Miranda Richardson is in there. Her Irish accent, by the way, fucking spectacular. It's good. Yeah, 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 like if you didn't know that she wasn't Irish, I think that could fool you. Yeah. Polar opposite to Forrest Whitaker. Uh, I had to get one more dig in there. Just yeah. one more dig. Successful. Successful. <laughs> but um, no, I, I like the ending. I have no problems with it. I think it's I think it's very fitting. And I love that he takes the fall for it. Again, like you said, driving home that yeah. just what a good guy he is. Yeah. And it almost feels like the, the love story in this is, is so important that the whole IRA thing, when they come back into the film, they're like, you'd almost forgotten. Like, oh shit, they're back. That's and, true. and the whole yeah. IRA terrorism thing, it feels almost tacked on yeah. a little bit. But I mean, it, it has to go there. You know it has to go there. You see them escape. They have to come back around. Although, did you did you read that? I, I didn't know that uh, Stephen Rea's wife was, was in the IRA. Yeah, she was actually uh, indicted for a pub bombing. Yes. And... I believe she was in prison at the time of filming this. Yes. And, yeah. and she died uh, about 2013 or so. But yeah. yeah, he was married to a member of the IRA, I which thought... I don't know how I feel about, really. I mean, I don't, I have no idea what their relationship dynamic it, yeah, is. Yeah, exactly. But I don't, exactly. I mean, fuck, I can't say this without sounding like an asshole Englishman, but I mean, there are certain things about, I would love to see Ireland as a whole given back to the Irish. I mean, is there kind of, what do we need Northern Ireland for? I I really wish this whole dispute would go away, and the uh, the backstop with Brexit is literally scaring the fuck out of me because we will go back to the troubles at their absolute worst in the seventies if we don't have a plan. Um, but I do also have to agree, and I it, ooh it pains me to say this, I do agree with the way that Thatcher treated some of the the prisoners. I mean. Yes, you are freedom fighters. You're fighting for what you believe in. But the second you start bombing churches and pubs and schools, fuck you. You're not a political prisoner. You deserve to be treated like everybody else because you just took human life. So fuck you. Yeah. And so that's and that's the other reason. I what is that band? Was that band that does that song? All my dreams, something or other. Is it Cranberries? One of them. Uh, They they donated some of their album, some of the money, the royalties off of that particular album to the IRA. So fuck them. I, yeah, I mean, I think they're Irish, or they've... Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, I'm very conflicted about uh, the Troubles and that sort of religious war and things like that. As an Englishman, I mean, there's a lot... I, I should just keep my mouth shut, because where, wherever, wherever people from England go, trouble follows us. And The Name of the Father would have been a good movie to watch with this. Oh, that. yeah. Wouldn't that... Man, the I fact that that isn't in the book. That. God yeah. damn, I love that movie. Pete I, I've only seen it once, but I remember it Oh, being good. it's like making the, the hairs on my arm stand up how much I love Pete Postlewaite in that film. He's just... He's good. He, he breaks my goddamn heart. Yeah, he's... he's Yeah, that's a that's a tough movie, too. Yeah. Um, so I think we're I think we're kind of there. So, Ian... Do you think that the crying game should be in the book? I 100% do. After a very rough first <laughs> half hour, with the, that's my caveat, is get through that first half hour and then you'll start to see what we mean about how important this film is yeah. in what it's saying. I, I, I think it should too. But, but I do think that, that on repeat viewings, it doesn't, I don't think it holds up. So and and it's not it's not in its depiction of, of of trans people or or that world. It's more just the film itself. Like I it it is a little more lackluster the more that I, I I've seen it and I'm hoping and is that for you in its storytelling and its performances and the way it looks. It's it's I do think some of the middle drags and and and, and not in a bad way. I just think it's like okay. I, there, yeah, I, there I are definitely it. some trims that and could I do be made. think that this movie does really rely on the twist in in a way. And maybe this is not necessarily a controversial opinion, but it's like, how good is the sixth sense after you know what happens? And sure, you can watch it again and see if you picked up the clues. And I think it's a good second viewing. But then again, like on the on its third viewing, now you're ahead of it. And then and then and then it's like, okay, so is is the directing, is the acting, is the story, is all of that keeping me engaged? And for, in this movie, I think the performances are mostly good. 
I think the story is mostly good and and that's great but I because it revolves so heavily on the twist I just don't know how like like I, I guess what I'm saying is if you haven't seen it like in the book implies like I do think you should watch this movie especially if you if you haven't seen it and hopefully you watch the movie and then listen to us but but I I just don't know that this is something that I'll ever really want to go back and watch again and not because I think it's bad it just doesn't have that that draw in the same way that something else with a huge twist like uh, Usual Suspects does, right? If you want to use that as a sure. comparison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But not even necessarily a movie I don't with know a if twist. That's, I don't know if that's an apt comparison or not. I'm just throwing out Well, no, that's twist. a pretty big twist. But it's not necessarily like even a twist movie. Just, you know, I don't I don't know that I'm going to well, rush and that's back a, to... And that's the thing is I, th- I think this movie is unduly sort of judged for its twist because it is so much more than that. It, and very true. It is way bigger than because just that we, one scene. As, as we know, the twist is really just like story two of three right? in, in this movie because yeah. it's, it's, it's got like three three clear stories. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just before we finished, I had a, a little, not just obviously because I recommended Mona Lisa at the beginning, but I as far as people interested in gay and lesbian films or trans films in the in British cinema, another little one that I would throw out there, and we mentioned Daniel Day-Lewis in um, in The Name of the Father. He One of his early films, My Beautiful Laundrette. Yeah. Please I, tell I've, me. I've not, but I, oh, I know of it. Man, it is so... And that's another sort of Thatcher era, you know, two guy. It's it's not in the book. I did look, and that's such a shame. Um, but yeah, this, there's this... Uh, Pakistani-born uh, entrepreneur who tries to open this uh, very flamboyant laundrette, and his boyfriend, his on-again, off-again boyfriend, is a former skinhead, uh, you know, right-wing, you know, British skinhead played by Daniel Day-Lewis, and their sort of forbidden romance. I mean, it's it's a kind of a slow burn, but the performances in it, again, it's another one of those great perf- film that hinges on its great performances and yeah. very much ahead of its time as far as gay rights and awareness for, for homosexual people are concerned. The, I mean, it's a very important film. Well, I, the, and the one, I, and if we're throwing out kind of related and theme recommendations, and it's in the book, so I won't say much about it, but um, Blue is the Warmest Color. Uh, and talk about a movie that is long. Um, it is very long. It's like three hours on the nose, yeah, isn't it? And but, but there, there is some controversy behind because I believe the two actresses have spoken out about their treatment on the film, which kind of has has numbed my see. And I've I've want to see it. See, and oh, you haven't seen it. I I do want to see it, but after I read some interviews with them, I was like, oh man, I don't tell me this thing went the way of Bertolucci. Please don't tell me you two see, were treated that, like that I, on this. But thing. I've read. See, I, I've read conflicting things because right. like. I, I haven't because I, I've heard that that movie was basically hinged on those two and their relationship with the director. And I, I, I don't I don't know. That's not that's not necessarily the vibe I got after reading some of the things that I read. But I, I, I do think that what we get on the screen is really interesting. I think it's I think it's really it's it's a character driven movie to the ma- and graphic is all hell. I don't know if you've heard but, no, no, I know, and okay, I've seen, yeah, I've seen other, fil- I've seen obviously Bertolucci films, and I've seen films by Gaspar No. So I mean, yeah. that's that, that's no, never mind to me. Lars von yeah. Trier, another one. I that's mean. that's true. Yeah, jeez. Um, anyways, though, so similar, but anyways, yeah. good, good I mean, get it's, to it. So it's in the book. I'm excited to see if it stays in the book with the the new edition, which yeah, I think it, by the time this episode goes out, I think the new edition will be out. Roughly, it should be. Yeah, uh, there, yeah end of October. It's in October is what yeah. I'm aware of. Yeah. So I'm excited to see if Blue is the Warmest Color sticks around. And I'd be even if it doesn't, I'd still be happy to do an episode on it. Yeah. Yeah. I know Liz is excited to see it as well, and we just haven't found the three hours to that's do a, true. an yeah. angsty film like that. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but bringing it back to the crying game, that is a yes from both of us. We do believe that it should be in the book. However, we would like to know... What you think? Do you think the crying game should be in the book? So please find us on Facebook and on Twitter. Follow us, like us, all those good things. Let us know what you think about the crying game. Um, you can listen to this on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Podomatic, all those great places, and maybe more. Probably more. I don't know. You can, you know, people can just put this wherever they fucking want to. I don't really know. Um, so, uh, so uh, thank you for listening to our episode on the crying game. And until next time. I am Adam. And I am Ian. And we will see you next week.